was uh, talking to Patrick, who was holding the camera in that video you just watched uh, <clears throat> for, the, for the video shoot, and, and um, just asked him a little bit about, uh, I don't know, you, you saw the horses, did they look real wild to you standing out there? They didn't to me either. He said there was a point in the video shoot where the horses like started to stampede towards them, and he thought they were going to die. They didn't capture it because they ran away from them. <laughs> And uh, they didn't include it because they weren't sure what they said and the camera was still on. So uh, <laughs> promise they were wild. But um, it's really interesting. That, that uh, herd of horses is called the Anaki uh, herd. And they're out near Dugway in the Rush Valley. Um, and it's just a wild, free-range, free-roaming uh, horse herd. Um, and they are managed by the Bureau of Land Management. He, uh, Cliff said that. And um, um, it's it's under the same law that allowed uh, the U.S. government to um, uh, get horses for the cavalry. It's still managed under that same law. And um, it was interesting, Cliff uh, was talking about uh, how he breaks them. And what happens is um, he just gets the overflow. The way it works is when they populate to the point uh, that the land can't support the horses there, Cliff gets them, and he does it all on volunteer, and then he uh, you know, trains them so that they can be adopted out safely. And it's interesting because Patrick was telling me that he asked him about the breaking process a few times, and every single time, every time he, he talked to him about it, uh, Cliff uh, insisted that they don't break horses, they gentle horses. He, he said it was a very, very important difference. Uh, I, I don't know much about horses, but he said... We, what you want to do is not rob the horse of its personality and its character. You just want him to understand that humans aren't out to hurt him. So you gentle him. And I, I don't know about you, um, but me personally, I'm a little jealous of, of Cliff um, because it's honest truth. I kind of always thought it'd be cool to be a cowboy. I'd probably be a horrible cowboy, actually. But I mean, the cowboy boots and the big hat and all that kind of stuff, that's just always cool to me. Um, I love the comforts of the city, so I don't know that I'd be great at it. But uh, again, honestly, I, 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 so as an example, I never um, actually, I never drank coffee until after college. And I'm a huge, I love coffee. Dunkin' Donuts is the best coffee ever made. If you ever, they don't have, <laughs> that's right. If you're ever in a part of the country, not Utah, where they actually have a Dunkin' Donuts shop, you should stop and get their coffee because it's better than the stuff you buy in the store. I don't know, they have magic pots or something. But anyway, uh, I never drank coffee until after college, and I remember exactly the time that I started, and I never looked back since. And it, it, was, it was this. I was uh, reading a book by Louis L'Amour. Louis L'Amour, if you know anything about him, he's a pretty prolific writer. He writes westerns primarily, right? And um, so I was reading a book that he wrote called Conniger. And uh, Conniger was the lead character in the book, and he, his character is pretty much the same as the lead character in all of his other books, which is this rough and rugged uh, strong guy who no woman could own his heart and no man could break his spirit. He conquered the earth. And so in this book, he rode across the plains and then every night what would happen is he would light a fire. As he would make a camp, he'd light a fire and he pulled chicory coffee out of his saddlebags and he would heat the chicory coffee over the fire and drink coffee before he went to sleep. And I just thought to myself, 
that sounds awesome. I'm going to get some coffee, and I want to, and so I think it was me vicariously trying to be like Conagher, you know? Uh, so I, and I seriously, seriously, I got the coffee, and as I'm reading the book, I'm drinking, I'm like, oh, so good. I am Conagher, you know? And, um, <laughs> I, so an, another great story when I was growing up is, uh, you may, if you're familiar with John Wayne and some of his movies, he did a, a movie, uh, that I just thought was amazing, and the movie uh, was called The Cowboys. And in, in this movie, uh, John Wayne gets hired to drive uh, a herd of cattle across some pretty treacherous land. And uh, he, go- he comes into this town to hire, uh, you know, hands to help him do this, and he's late in the season. And so there, there's no one available. And what he does is he ends up hiring a bunch of kids. And it's a, it's a great story. They, they come of age during this time. And, and, and he, he's just, again, this rugged guy, you know, just, just unstoppable in any way. And just um, a great movie. You should see it. And, and I, I even thought of this. Do you, how many of you guys remember the Marlboro Man? Remember him? Yeah. You got to be like my age maybe. Didn't know that. Anyway, the Marlboro Man was like this rugged, great-looking cowboy that they put on billboards to get you to smoke Marlboro cigarettes, and he's always smoking a cigarette. And I remember just looking at all of these people and, and, and just thinking, oh, awesome. Because, you know, to me, they represented, and maybe to you guys too, I believe, they represented what a man was supposed to be, right? Rough and tumble, rugged, conquering the earth. And it's, it's Father's Day today, and we're, we're in the middle of this uh, series called The Opposite Way. And uh, you heard Josh correctly, so on Father's Day, we thought we'd talk about meekness, because that feels pretty opposite to me. And I have to tell you, um, we're looking at the verse, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Let, let, me, let, me, let me ask you, though, when you, when you think about dads, just it's Father's Day, when you think about dads, how many of you go, yes, the perfect dad, Mr. Meek, the meekest guy around, that's the best dad? Probably not too many of you. Or do you think, no, Conagher, John Wayne, those are the good dads. And, and I have to tell you, or let me, let me, actually, let me, let me ask you some questions. If you are um, a married woman here today, how many of you thought to yourself, I've always wanted to marry someone super meek? Anyone raise your hand if you're like, yeah, that's me. I want to marry a meek, meek, meek person. My son just raised his hand. <laughs> Not sure what that's about, but anyway. Or how about you, if you're a single lady, how many of you go, yes, for me, tall, dark, and meek? That's the guy. Raise your hand. No. Or, or, or guys, how about this? How many of you would raise your hand and say, you know what? I am meek and lowly. Anyone want to raise their hand? Don't, don't do it again, please. <laughs> or how many of you would say, I aspire one day to be the meekest man to walk the face of the earth. See, I don't even actually think that when we think of the term meek, we think of it in a positive sense. We think of it quite negatively. Obviously, no one raised their hand, well, one did, but... See, we, we think... We don't, I don't think we really spend time concerned about developing this in our children or having the quality of meekness as a big part of my life, but apparently, Jesus felt quite differently. He thought that meekness was very important to us. In the Beatitudes, he's, he, it's his top ten list of character traits, and he lists meekness as one of the top ten. 
as I studied for this, it was really interesting, some of the stuff I came across. And one of them was a little anecdote that I found that illustrates, I think, what we believe meekness is. According to this newspaper uh, column, this guy, J. Upton Dixon, uh, he's a pretty fun-loving guy, I guess, but he, uh, he was writing a book that he was calling Cower Power. All about meekness. He also founded a group of very submissive people, and he called, their name was the Doormats. It was an acronym, and it stood for the Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls with a subtitle, If There Are No Objections. And, and um, their motto was, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with everybody. <laughs> and their symbol for the group was the yellow traffic light. <laughs> See, I, and so I, it's interesting, because I look at this stuff, I'm like, right, I, I, don't, I don't know, that's not that great. Well, maybe he's got it wrong. So I look up, I just, let's Webster this and find out what it really means. And it actually didn't get any better. Because when I looked it up, I found, here, here are two different definitions. One is quiet and gentle, not so bad. Here's a, here's a great thing that we want. Easily imposed on, submissive. Hmm. Another definition said, overly submissive or compliant. Spiritless. Tame. Let me ask you again. Who, who desires that to be the definition of your character? I, mean, I am spiritless, overly submissive, and easily imposed on. That is me. I don't think too many. Yet somehow God's word views meekness quite differently. And I, I just asked you guys to raise your hand if you'd say, you know, I'm, I'm meek and lowly. Well, the interesting thing about that is that's a direct quote from Jesus Christ found in Matthew. And then I asked you guys who would say, I aspire to be very meek above all other people on the face of the earth. That was a description of Moses, the leader of Israel. Somehow, what we think of meek and what the Bible thought of meek, it's not the same thing. And what I want to do uh, is take the time that we have remaining here this morning to, to, to really look at God's word and get a solid understanding of what meekness is from a biblical perspective. And even more than just understanding what it is, why it's important that we're practicing this in our life. And, and first, before I go into what meek is, I'd like to talk a little bit about what meekness is not. Because I think, again, I've sort of, sort of already alluded to this a little bit, but what meekness is not, it's not this false humility or browbeating, oh, I'm, woe is me. I'm, it's not that. It's not avoiding conflict or being passive. That's a whole different thing. It's not avoiding using your talents or skills when necessary. It's not avoiding to speak up when you should. That's not meek. Meekness is not weakness. Okay, especially or specifically in its original usage. See, one, one, of, the, one of the problems is that words uh, change meaning over time. A, a, an example of this is in 1710, uh, Sir, Sir Christopher Wren, he, uh, he was an architect, and he, uh, uh, earlier on, many years earlier, um, St. Paul's Cathedral had burned during the Great Fire of, of uh, London. And uh, Sir Christopher Wren was the architect that they hired to rebuild this. And he spent 25 years rebuilding uh, the cathedral. And after 25 years of work, 
he showed it to the queen. And uh, upon, upon seeing it, her response was this. Her majesty exclaimed that the building was awful, amusing, and artificial. 25 years of your life for awful, amusing, and artificial. Upon hearing that, Sir Christopher Wren thanked Her Majesty for the compliments. Because in 1710, awful meant awe-inspiring. Amusing meant amazing, and artificial meant artistic. Even you think of even words today, like the word manufacture, originally meant made by hand. Today means not made by hand. Or, you know, bad is good, right? And sick is cool. Stuff changes. And meek is one of those examples of a word that doesn't mean what we think it means. Today's definition is different. And we hear the word meek and we have this negative reaction to it. It's not what we desire. So I want to look at what does meek mean from, the, from, the, from God's definition as he uses it here. And we find it in, again in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, where it says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, if there are no objections. And the word meek, uh, the Greek word uh, for meek used in this passage is a word praus, P-R-A-U-S, and, and it's the same, the, the word is a word that was used uh, to describe a soothing medicine. It was a, a word dis- used to describe a, a gentle wind by sailors. And you think about both of those. Um, w- w- so a gentle medicine is great, right? If, if you're sick and you need healing, you take it in the right dosage, it's really good for you. The problem comes when it's not controlled, we can become addicted to medicines, and actually medicines have negative side effects, especially taken in large doses. And the wind, you know, a gentle wind fills the sail and moves the boat along, but a gale force wind creates hurricanes and all kinds of terrible things when they're not controlled. It's talking about this, the gentle wind and the soothing medicine. Another, another t- way it was used was by farmers to describe a broken colt. My friend Cliff would refer to it as a gentled colt. It's pretty interesting, too, because what we, what we find as we read through Scripture, depending on the translation that you're reading, the words uh, meek, gentle, and humble are used interchangeably. This, path, this, this, this uh, translation calls it meek, this one calls it humble, this one calls it gentle. So that those three words feel like they have, uh, they're, they're the same essence of meaning. The working definition we could go from then is, is Strength under control or power under control. You think about this in your own life now for just a second. Think about areas in your life where you have power. You know, maybe you're a boss. Maybe you're an employee. Both of you have power. In this song that we heard at the beginning, who's going to ride your wild horses? So that's about a really jacked up relationship, right? This person is abusive to the person, and he finally says in the end, that's a U2 song, you know, you probably already know it, but he says in the end, if I leave, who's going to ride your wild horses? And so what's happening is this person is exercising abusive power, not power that's under control. 
There's a great story uh, um, you've probably read uh, if you went through high school um, of Mice and Men. It's just a classic novel. And in this story, uh, these two guys, George and Lenny, they're these like uh, traveling workers and they, they go to farms and work. They're both really hardworking guys. And, but George uh, is, is a friend to Lenny and Lenny is, is he's kind of his only friend and Lenny is super, super strong, stronger than everyone else. Really, really strong. And, uh, but he loves like little mice and he loves cats and little puppy dogs and and everywhere he goes, he runs into problems because Lenny can't control his strength. He starts petting the mice, and he gets so excited, he ends up crushing them. And it becomes his demise. It's not strength under control. And every one of you, every single, just every single person in this room today has strengths. And what do they say about your greatest strength? It's your greatest weakness. And every single one of us has power. Yeah, I'm a dad, but I have a daughter. I have power over her, and she has power with me too. Every single person in this room has power. But the second part that I really think getting to the core of what meekness means, it's not just controlling my own power, but actually submitting my power to someone else, and that someone else being God. Allowing God to channel the power that I have. I'd love to look at a, uh, an example from the Bible. It's found in the Old Testament in, in the book of 2 Kings. Um, and and any time I speak, I just always, again, I, I said this to the first crew that was here this morning. Um, I just always love telling stories um, because I remember, and if you grew up in church, you might remember the flannel graph thing where the Sunday school teacher would tell stories with the flannel things and they'd put them on the board as they illustrated it. And I just loved it. I, I think everyone loves hearing stories. And so... I just like to tell stories. And here's a, for me, this is a great story of a guy named Naaman. And what we know about Naaman is that uh, he was a commander in uh, Aram's, uh, Syria, Aram, same thing. He was a commander, high-ranking commander in, in that military uh, uh, system. And uh, not only was he high-ranking, he was highly esteemed. Under his leadership as commander, uh, Aram was brought many, 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 military victories. And uh, the more interesting thing about, about Naaman was that not only was he high-ranking and respected, but he had leprosy. Okay, and this story takes place somewhere between 800 and 700 B.C. So uh, at that time, if you were a leper, uh, you weren't highly respected. In most cases, you were sent off to live in a leper community because what they believed was that leprosy was a communicable disease and you'd spread it. And so you got relegated to live by yourself with all the lepers. And leprosy, your skin gets, it's horrible. You die of it eventually and and along the way you become disfigured. And uh, it's just a horrible, horrible disease. And but because of his his, uh, excellent military record, his high respect, they didn't make him do that. He was still the commander. And so what happens is really interesting because he has living in his house uh, an Israel, uh, a, a servant girl from Israel. And she's aware of the prophet Elisha, who is, reigning, is, is the prophet leading Israel at that point. And she gets word to Naaman and she says, hey, you should go to Israel and, uh, and uh, go see this prophet. and He'll heal you. 
So he says, all right. That's where I want to pick up reading in uh, verse, uh, verse 9 of chapter 5 in 2 Kings. And I'm going to just move right into this story. And it says this. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Okay, let me, let me backtrack a little bit that I didn't include in the story that you pick up here. See, Naaman shows up with, with what? With his horses and chariots. Okay, Naaman arrives. Not only did he bring horses and chariots, he brought 750 pounds of silver, uh, uh, 150 pounds of gold. He brought 10 changes of clothing. He brings the whole crew. Because why? Because he's important. And he wants everyone to know it. I'm important, and I'm going to get healed of leprosy. And then Elisha sends out this servant, his messenger, sends him out, and he says, okay, go tell him to go wash in the river. Seven times he'll be healed. Great news, right? You'd think. Let's pick up with the next verse. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call in the name of the Lord, his God, to heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in rage. What? This guy's got a death sentence that's going to disfigure him along the way but he doesn't think he gets the pomp and circumstance that he deserves. He's willing to die rather than submit the power that he has to someone else. Wow. Good news, though. Verse 13. His officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, which is what he wanted. He wanted, you know, the beauty and the beast scene. Remember when the beast becomes the guy again and this stuff swirling in the air and beautiful colors of rainbows? That's what he wants. <laughs> he wants the big thing. He said, if he'd asked you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says, simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed, and his skin, check this out, became as healthy as the skin of a young child's. And he was healed. I, I look at my, I say this to Susie all the time, I look at the skin of my children, and I'm like, oh, I wish I had their skin. This is, what ha- this is what he was willing to walk away from, but because of some advice from some other people. Because of the power they had to speak truth to him. He humbled himself got rid of the pride and received healing from a death sentence. That's meek. I will, I will submit my power. See, the problem with Naaman wasn't that he was powerful, but that he would not allow his power to be controlled by anyone. And he let his pride get in the way. You know, just let me ask you this. There, there may be areas in your life where you need to humble yourself and get cleaned, just like Naaman. Aristotle, you've probably heard of him, he wrote of the golden mean between the extremes, is what he referred to it as, where he said that, that 
the meek man was one who had the virtue of striking a happy medium. So as an example, a person uh, might be a spendthrift or they might be a miser. But for him, the meek man was the person who was a generous steward of his finances and resources. See, that's what meekness does. Meekness takes the power of resource and puts you in the middle so you're not a miser. You're not just blowing money. You're resourcing it. William Barclay, he's an author, a theologian, and a professor. He says this, The meek person is one who gets angry at the right time, such as injury to others, but does not grow angry at the wrong time, such as insult to self. I want to look at another story here in Numbers chapter 12, and it's uh, Moses, who was the leader of Israel. Um, and I'm just going to start reading. I'm just going to write through this, and, and um, we'll just read right through this, and then I'll talk about it a little bit. But verse 1 says this, And Miriam and Aram, Aaron, uh, they were his brother and sister, spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, spake against. Publicly, they were talking bad about. They're talking smack about the leader, publicly, okay? And uh, he'd married an Ethiopian woman. And, and they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Huh. Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it, and it says this next. What? Now Moses, or now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Seems odd that that's stuck in there in the middle, doesn't it? Read down to verse 8, where it says this, I speak to him face to face, God talking. I speak to him face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? The Lord was very angry with them, and he departed. So let me fill in some blanks on this story for you. That's not the end of it. See, what happens because God is actually angry, Moses actually does not defend himself in this. He lets it roll, but God becomes very, very angry and actually strikes in that very moment, strikes Miriam with leprosy. Bam, just like that. Wow. (laughs) Imagine that every time we were proud. Mary, Mary said this last service, uh, probably stealing her thunder a little bit. But she said, you imagine that every time you were proud if you got hit with a physical disease that everyone could see? I guess. See, but what happens, Moses now with every right as the leader of Israel, justified by God's judgment on his sister, he could just let it roll. But Miriam and Aaron say, no, no, we're sorry, we're sorry, we've sinned, we get it. And Moses goes before God because he has the power and he pleads on their behalf. The people, very people who have just ridiculed him. He meekly subjects his authority to God and says, God, please heal her. She's healed. See, that's meek. I have the power to do, but it's under control by God. Moses demonstrates power submitted to the control of God. And actually, probably, his actions in meekness speak probably more loudly than they would if he would have been vindictive and allowed that to happen. Doesn't that speak a lot about the person's character? 
ultimately, and this is kind of a key here, guys, ultimately, yielding my power to the control of God demonstrates that I trust him just as a gentle horse demonstrates trust to his trainer. And again, we can have a conversation about whether horses would be better off left in the wild. Okay, I might, I'm not going to argue with you on that, but we're different. See, we're created by a creator who, wa- who knows us and wants us to know him. And he has our best intentions for us. See, when we fail to... Th- think about this. Think again, just, just, t- just any, any area in your life where you have power. Are you willing to submit that power to God? Because if you are, then what you're saying is, I trust that when I submit this to you, God, you have good intentions for the use. And when I don't submit it, what I'm saying is, I don't really trust you, God. I think my plan's better. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. He says, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Yoke, not egg. My yoke, like the thing that they would put over cattle to harness the power of the cattle. Take my yoke upon you. And what is that yoke? That yoke is following Jesus' teaching, being meek, doing what God says, obedience to his teachings. Because why? I'll give you rest. He goes on to say, for I am meek and lowly in heart, gentle and humble is what the NIV says there, and you will find rest for your soul. See, he doesn't want you to take the yoke so he can manipulate you and use you for stuff. That's not his point. His point is that when you take on his yoke and you do it his way, you get the rest you actually desire. We spend so much time trying to fill ourselves with the stuff that we want because in the end, we don't really trust that God's intention is better. And we think he's going to manipulate us or use us. Maybe we've been manipulated by churches in the past or religious people. I don't know. But I want you to know that God doesn't want that for you. The point of being meek and submitting is for your own good. And Jesus was that ultimate expression of our meekness or or of meekness. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he's about to be brutalized to death, whipped and beaten and thorns stuffed on his head and scoffed at and mocked. What does he say in the Garden in his prayer? Jesus, who has all power at his fingertips, all authority is given to him. He can do anything. And he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will but yours be done. See, even Jesus, the most powerful person to walk the face of the earth, submitted his power to God. And why did he do that? Why do you think he did that? Think he was looking forward to dying on the cross? I don't. Because he believed that God had a better intention He believed that what God had was better. Let me just review for a minute here. What what, what is meekness? Again, we find in Galatians, it's listed as a fruit of the Spirit, which just means that, that meekness in you demonstrates that you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. 
It shows trust in our creator, and our creator is the person who made us. Don't you think that the person who made us knows us better than we know ourselves? It's trust in our creator. It's something that should be evident and seen in all areas of our life. The question for you is, do others see meekness in you? Because they should. And it's actually submitting my will to God. That means giving my areas of power, my areas, my strengths, my weaknesses, giving my areas of power to God's control. It's believing that God's got the best intentions for me, even better than my own. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to act. What are the areas where you have power? You may be in a position of power as a boss, or you may just have power because you're in a relationship and there's trust necessary, and you can abuse that power. As a parent, I have power, right? The question is this. Does my power inspire security in my kids? Or do they fear my power? Because if they fear my power, I'm not meek. If they find security in it, I'm being meek. The same is true with your employees or as an employee to your employer. You have the ability to do good. Do you? Think back to the beginning when we talked about John Wayne and Conagher and the Marlboro Man. See, those images that we typically think are the man's man, the mold for man, that's not, that's not God's mold for man. That's man's mold for man. Why? Because we're proud. We're not humble. We're not meek. We're powerful. I can do this on my own. Notice in... Matthew 5, 5, the second half of the verse that I just want to hit on really quickly. Blessed are the meek for what they will inherit. What does it mean to inherit? How much control do you have over inheritance? (laughs) See, in this passage, when he says this, he's directly referencing Psalm 37, which is talking about, and I'll read Psalm 37, it says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. A couple things here. First of all, he's talking about Moses specifically and the Israelites who would eventually inherit the land that was promised to them. And the kicker was, but be obedient. Take my yoke. Do what I ask you to do. Be obedient to me and you'll inherit the land. And even Moses, because of disobedience, he was not allowed to take the land. And he received that from God to say, okay, Your will, not mine. But you'll inherit the earth. Do you know why they call it a trust? You know, you you set up a trust for someone. Why do they call it a trust? Because if I have a trust, do I have any say over what happens to that? No, the person in charge of my trust does. See, it's the same thing. We inherit the earth. And what does that mean? Well, the earth is where we, it's the world we live in. And if we believe that God controls that, we inherit a world controlled by God because of our meekness. And when we, when we inherit, 
we receive. See, but Conagher and John Wayne and most of us, we want to conquer. And when we conquer, we take. It's very opposite. Let me just remind you of the questions we asked at the beginning. How many of you want to say, yes, I am meek and lowly? How many of you would say, I aspire to be meek above all other men that walk the face of the earth? See, this is why this priority in the top 10 for Jesus is such a priority because first, we don't understand it, but secondly, it's essential for us to trust God. Do you guys desire meekness? Think about this for just a second. How many of you could, and don't raise your hands on this, but how many of you could just think just for a second to say, I can think of a lot of areas in my life where I'm an ungentled horse or I'm naming in my pride, not in my humility. Because those are the areas where God wants to reach in and go, trust me with your life. Be meek. Submit the areas of control that you have and the power that you have to me and learn that I have your best intentions in mind. you have an issue with anger? Are you giving your sexual purity over to God? Sexually, are you submitting to his, his rule? How about at work? Are you meek at work? Or do you terrorize people to get what you need? Are you proud? Because he... Here it is in the end. If meekness is the equivalent of humility, then in the end, pride will prevent us from being meek. I'm going to invite the, the band uh, to come, come out. We're going to transition into time of worship here. And I, I just want to ask you a few more questions as we close. First of all, can you imagine this with me? I'm guessing that every single person here can find an area, at least you, just off the top of your head, can find one area in your life where you know, I'm not, very, I'm not meek. I'm not submitting this power that I have. And imagine if you really, really at a core believe that God's intention in your submitting his power, your power to him was for good. What would happen in that very issue you're thinking of? where you didn't have to control the outcome. Think what would happen in your relationships if you were meek. If everyone on the earth was meek, can you imagine what a wonderful place it would be? All very powerful and all submitting to someone else, not conquering but receiving. Imagine what would happen in your own heart. So imagine what a different person you could be. Imagine the healing, like naming that you could receive in those areas that are holding you back. First step, some of you guys here, we're so glad you're here, but you are you like, you know what, dude, I've never taken that first step. I don't, I do not trust that God has my best intention. 
that may be a lot of you sitting out here today. I just want to tell you, my encouragement to you today would be to humble yourself and take that first step of trust to say, God, I believe you have my best intentions. But for many of us out here today also that have taken that step, I challenge you to sit before God this week, even today as we enter this time of worship, and say, I know his faithfulness is true. He loves me deeply. He cares for me. And we can run to him knowing that if I just, if I don't have to control this, I can give it to God. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, you are all-powerful. And even in your power, you don't exact justice on us for our sin, but give a, extend to us grace to receive the freedom that you offer us that we are too often uh, blinded by and unwilling to receive and accept. I pray that this morning you would speak to the very areas that we're struggling in, the areas that we know we have not submitted and, and not been meek, and that we have not put our strengths and power in your control, but we've controlled them ourselves. Speak to those areas, Lord, and tender our hearts to trust in you and to believe that your desire is to give us rest and give us what our souls actually desire. That's this new name. Amen.